0: Happy Easter. Thank you for joining us this morning. It is Resurrection Day, New Life Day, but I want to take us to a funeral. Uh, My uncle died in 2020 and there was a a COVID cremation, but then we only finally um, buried him last month on the 5th of March, which would have been his 97th birthday. So Uncle Dick, much-loved husband of my dad's twin sister, there was lots we could have said at the funerals, but Uncle Dick himself had made sure I knew what to say. Uh, We'd been to see him on one of his many stays in hospital. It was actually another Easter day, but a few years earlier. And I led a short service by the bed. And then we talked about hospital. He hated hospitals. And we talked about death and what comes after and my Uncle Dick said, some things in life are certain. Life after death is certain. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. He, he wasn't a, a Bible-bashing, happy-clappy, churchy person at all, but he was in his 90s. He was of the generation that were still taught the basic facts of the Christian faith growing up. And as a young man, he decided that it was true, and that Jesus had his trust. Some things in life are certain. Life after death is certain. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Certainty has a a bad reputation, as if it's only for conspiracy theory crackpots or propagandists. But... I think you'll understand it made a huge difference to the group of us gathered around his coffin to know that he was certain. And last month, given over a year had passed, I did something I wouldn't normally do at a funeral. I compared his certainty to the rest of my family gathered around the grave. See, I'm the, um, the family vicar. I have the privilege of being asked to be involved in the funerals and the weddings. So I stood by the piece of earth that contains the remains of my dad, his twin, his other sister and her husband. And I looked around at the the family gathered around me. Uh, There's only one of his generation left. And then there are lots and lots of my first cousins. I'm the the baby in the family by 20 years. So the chances are I'll be around long enough to bury most of them. So I reminded them what Uncle Dick had said and pointed out that we were coming to the end of the certainty generation. And the next generation, the children of the 1960s, they are the uncertain generation uncertain about life, about death, and about what comes after. And without anything too undignified at an English funeral, I ask them to do something about that before it's their turn. See, certainty is what the writer of Luke's gospel wants to give us. Our reading comes from the very end of his first book, and he thinks he can deliver you certainty about life, death and Jesus. If um, if you keep a finger in Luke chapter 24, you'll see that if you turn to the very first paragraph of his book, Luke chapter 1, verse 3. He has written an orderly account, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that is our aim this morning certain Jesus rose from the dead, certain of life after death, and certain of forgiveness. Come back to chapter 24. This is the point when Jesus sends his disciples out with a proclamation. Verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. In his name to all nations. I'm here to tell you something you can be sure about. The authority of the resurrected Jesus is the name on the check. So in his name, anyone from all nations who repents has forgiveness and eternal life with Jesus. Are you certain about death and what happens next? About the guilt you carry unforgiven? Well, his name is on the check. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Some things in life are certain. And I'm going to show some of Luke's reasons and invite us to look deeper at it, uh, to begin doing something about it before it is our turn. And I've got three headings for us. One, a certain event. Verses 36 to 43, they focus on the concrete and obvious reality of what has happened. And I I love the contrast because the disciples in these verses, they are as uncertain as it is possible to be. Uh, They're a total emotional mess. And Luke and Jesus are so kind with their emotions. That's important. This passage, it is all about moving from doubt to certainty, but it is kind to those with doubts. Never be afraid to talk openly about questions and doubts. Christianity should not be afraid of hard questions because anything true simply looks more and more certain the more you ask it questions. So look down at verse. Thirty-six. They're having a chat about what happened earlier that day, which is what we've been looking at over the last two Sundays. They're chatting about the publicly executed Jesus and how he has risen from the dead. Uh, Simon Peter has seen him. Cleopas and his friend—they have walked seven miles with him. So, conclusion, verse thirty-four: It is true, the Lord has risen. That's what they're chatting about. But then, rudely interrupting the chat is the actual living, breathing Jesus. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, and they fall apart. He offers them peace and eternal life and everything else, and in verse 37, they're too startled and frightened to receive it. And Jesus says that's because, verse 38, they're actually too troubled and doubting to receive peace. Then by verse 41, their emotions have twisted again, and now they're too happy, too happy to receive peace, while well, they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. It's, um, it's such a realistic picture of the turmoil of emotions. Their leader and friend was killed three days ago. It's clear they were totally traumatized and had no expectations of any future, certainly not a resurrection. They they just didn't listen to that bit. And now he's standing in front of them. Fear, amazement, doubt, troubled, joy. And Jesus kindly helps them until they are certain the event really happened. So verse 37, they think maybe he's a ghost. So Jesus proves that's not what's happening. Verse 39, use your eyes, see my hands and feet. That's about recognition. Three days ago, you saw the nails go in here and here and there. It is I myself, it's really me. Then verse 39, use your hands, touch me and see. It's a very physical kind of seeing. Do a basic medical examination. Jesus has flesh and bones. Then, verse 41, use your cooking. Um, We don't know much about the piece of fish. Was it his favourite? Did he just take a, a little forkful or did he really tuck in? How hungry are you after being dead for three days? But the point is, those questions, they are meaningful because Jesus has a risen body with bones and flesh and guts and teeth and taste buds. See, their emotional turmoil and doubts, they are met with high-grade proof. This is a certain event. Jesus has a risen body. If he can handle death, well, he can handle anything. Your future can be a physical risen body. And that is a wonderful thing to be sure of in all the frustrations of life but especially at our funerals. Uncle Dick loved tennis and curry. And uh, the Bible doesn't specify tennis or curry specifically, but that is the kind of world Jesus is taking us to. Not a sort of everlasting hospital bed or floating around as a spirit. says, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So the event is certain. But over the last two weeks, Chris has been preaching for us in this chapter, and he's pointed us to all of the words in the chapter, the words of Jesus and the words of the Old Testament Scriptures. Luke 24 contains the most troubling, amazing, frightening, joyful event in world history, but it is packed full of words speeches, conversations, and at least two whole Bible-length Bible studies. It's not only the event that is certain. It's also, point two, a certain interpretation. A certain interpretation. Look down at verse 44. It is the ultimate, I told you so. 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you then Jesus shows them the scriptures and how they are really all about him and about this day, resurrection day. And really for Luke, this is doing double service. This is more proof as well as the certain interpretation. Do you see the the proof bit? If you can predict what will happen to your corpse before you get in your coffin and you can get someone to write that down thousands of years earlier, well then I'd better treat you as a very serious individual. So he does this Bible study, which might strike you as a bit odd. What would you do on the day you came back to life? See your friends? Jesus does that. Start a revolution? Jesus does that. But would you hold two mega long Bible studies in one day and late into the night? It's a very striking thing for Jesus to do with his first day. The resurrection is a certain fact, but we are not left to make up the meaning ourselves. The resurrection gets its meaning and its significance from thousands of years of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They wrote about me, Jesus says. That's why we can be certain what happened that day and what it means. Certainty about Jesus, life and death, doesn't just come from the event and the evidence, it comes from the scriptures. That's the other thing worth knowing about my Uncle Dick. He had lived through the wholesale dismantling of Christian Britain, and most of his life he'd been in churches where they'd told him, You can't be sure about the Bible but he'd never bought it. He, um, he didn't have a very high opinion of preachers. Uh, we've already now gone three times over his maximum tolerance length for a sermon. But he had a high opinion of the Bible. So if you want to be sure where you will go when you die, and you want to investigate the Christian claims about that, well, then you need to devote serious time to the Bible. Two long Bible studies, late into the night, on the day he defeated death, that's Jesus. And pray for Jesus to do for you what he did for them, in verse 45, to open your mind so you could understand the Scriptures. Maybe start with Luke's Gospel and pay particular attention to the places when Jesus says the Old Testament is about him, and then read on into the sequel by Luke, the book of Acts, and pay particular attention to the places where these disciples, the ones who were at the late-night Bible study, when they say the Old Testament is about him. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 13, Acts 15. We know what the Bible study said because they tell us they are absolutely certain they have the message that the world needs because they've witnessed the event and they've locked in the interpretation. Three times in in Luke 24, the confused disciples, they're told this is just what had to happen. Verse 6, the angels tell the woman, remember how he told you, the Son of Man must be delivered over, crucified and on the third day be raised again. Verse 25, Jesus tells two disciples, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then today, verse 44, Jesus to the disciples, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Then he opens their minds to understand. So verse 46 is just what he told them when he was alive. It's just what all of the scriptures have been saying for thousands of years. Verse 46, Jesus gives them the three-point plan for all of time. So there's certainty about what has happened and certainty about what it means which is why Jesus sends them out with a message, which is our third point. So certain event plus certain interpretation means third, certain forgiveness. So Jesus ends his Bible study with the three-point plan. This is what God wanted to happen. He arranged all of world history to make it so, and he telegraphed it at length in advance over thousands of years. The plan, verse 46, one, Messiah will suffer, the king on a cross. Two, Messiah will rise on the third day, the king forever with all authority. And three, repentance for the forgiveness of sins preached in his name to all nations. That's God's three point plan for all of time. And Jesus, he's completed two of them inside 72 hours. And the third, well, that is the one he hands over to the disciples. No longer confused, fearful and doubting. With the help of God's power, verse 49, they go out to preach forgiveness. And I I don't know quite what I'll do in the live service when there will be people physically in the room with me here, but maybe I should go row by row, person by person. Luke wants us to be certain about this. Jesus wants us to be certain about this. So Bob, in row three, if you repent, you will be forgiven and join Jesus in eternal resurrection life. Or Akemi in row seven, If you trust Jesus, there is no doubt forgiven. It's what all of world history has been brewing towards. Or um, John up in the gallery, Uh, we are a long way from Bethany 2,000 years ago. But when he said to all the nations, he meant even you in London in 2022. Or Anna, his name is on the check. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. Some things in life are certain. So the same to whoever you are, watching this wherever you are. Are you sure about death and what happens next, about your guilt and your sin? Are you sure this is real, sure that Jesus meant it, sure there is no mistake? God has been planning to forgive you. For a long time, for eternal ages, all of world history turns around this conversation with its king in verse 44 to 49. And his name, crucified and risen, guarantees the offer I make to you. Be a reminder for some, but a first offer for others. You can be certain of forgiveness in Jesus' name. Some things in life are certain. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your plan for all of time to send your son to suffer, to die and be raised. We thank you for his offer of forgiveness to all who repent. And we ask, Father, we pray that you would open our minds that we can understand the scriptures. We pray that you would help us with our doubts and our fears, that we would trust in Jesus. In his name we ask. Amen.